Time to wake Time to up. up. <laughs> no longer can we rely on those same people in the media and politics who will say anything to keep our rigged system in place. Instead, we must choose to believe in America. History is watching us now. We don't have much time. History is watching. It's waiting to see if we will rise to the occasion and if we will show the whole world that America is still free and independent and strong. Because today, we are not merely transferring power from one administration to another or from one party to another, but we are transferring power from Washington, D.C., and giving it back to you, the people. For too long, a small group in our nation's capital has reaped the rewards of government, while the people have borne the cost. You are tuned in to His Hardline. Welcome to the number one show many have yet to discover. Our priorities of discussion are quite simple. We put God first. We talk about good health and how to fortify our families, followed by how we restore the republic so we can have a strong nation once again. So patriots, so patriots assemble. 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 Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Good evening, good afternoon, and good morning, wherever you're at in the world. I am Jason, your co-host with God and Jesus Christ at my side, because they are the host of this show. They are the ones in charge. They're in the captain's chair. They're at the wheel, and they are steering the ship through these crazy, chaotic waters that we call life. So welcome to His Heart Line for episode 530, Who is Running America? Part 2. So before we get started today's show, I had a request to play a song, and I'm going to play it in the beginning, and then we'll get into the show. So as some of you may know, an artist by the name of Gordon Lightfoot had passed away, and he is famous of doing that song, Wreck of the Edmund Fitzgerald. Remember that? I can't remember. Was that? Did that go down in Lake Superior? I think it was Lake Superior, wasn't it? Because Lake Superior, that I know Lake Superior can be a very fierce body of water, especially when it comes into late fall, going into winter. Yeah, I thought so. Yeah, it was Superior. I thought so. I tell you, Lake Superior is no joke. The Great Lakes are no joke. You know, it's, and I, I'm not trying to be funny here or sound like Biden, but the Great Lakes really is no joke. As somebody, let me tell you something. For those of you that don't live near the Great Lakes, it's not just a lake. It's like a an ocean. And I could tell you that firsthand because I used to live in Florida. I used to do boat bottom cleaning. I was I was a diver. The ocean's a very strong uh body of water. It's very strong. It's very very strong. And so anyway, um when I moved up here, to Michigan and I've gone to Lake Michigan, I've realized just how strong that water is. I've learned just how strong the storms that come across that lake. It's, you know, when you get straight line winds, as they call it, across that lake in the fall, sometimes it's worse than hurricane force winds. It's insane. It is insane. Uh, Paul Federico here in the chat was saying he said he was watching it on TV and just had to do something, and that song came to him. He's in my uh, in my cell all the time. He'll be missed, but I'm happy for him to be home now. Amen. 
I'm with you. Amen on that. He's he's with God and and Jesus Christ right now. So may God, you know, may God rest his soul. Gordon Lightfoot. So without further ado, let's let's play that song in honor of Gordon Lightfoot, shall we? Let me uh, switch it over here on Cloud Hub for a minute so they can hear it on their end. Again, the wreck of the Edmund Fitzgerald. Legend lives on from the Chippewa on down of the big lake they call Gitchagumi. The lake, it is said, never gives up her dead when the skies of November turn gloomy. With a load of iron ore, 26,000 tons more than the Edmund Fitzgerald weighed empty. That good ship and true was a bone to be chewed when the gales of November came early. The ship was the pride of the American side, coming back from some mill in Wisconsin. As the big freighters go, it was bigger than most, with a crew and good captain well seasoned. Concluding some terms with a couple of steel firms When they left fully loaded for Cleveland Then later that night when the ship's bell rang Could it be the north wind they'd been feeling? The wind and the wires made a tattletale sound broke over the railing And every man knew as the captain did too Twas the witch of November come stealing The dawn came late and the breakfast had to wait When the gales of November came slashing When afternoon came it was freezing rain In the face of a hurricane west wind Saying, fellas, it's too rough to feed you At 7 p.m. a main hatchway gave in He said, fellas, it's been good to know you The captain wired in, he had water coming in And the good ship and crew was in peril And later that night when his lights went out of sight Came the wreck of the Edmund Fitzgerald Does anyone know where the love of God goes When the waves turn the minutes to hours Searchers all say they'd have made Whitefish Bay if they'd put 15 more miles behind her. They might have split up or they might have capsized. They may have broke deep and took water. And all that remains is the faces and the names of the wives and the sons and the daughters. Lake Huron Rose Superior sings In the rooms of her ice water mansion Old Michigan steams like a young man's dreams The islands and bays are for sportsmen And farther below Lake Ontario The 
Takes in what Lake Erie can send her The iron boats go as the mariners all go With the gales of November remembered In a musty old hall in Detroit they prayed in the Maritime Sailors Cathedral. The church bell chimed till it rang 29 times for each man on the Edmund Fitzgerald. And the legend lives on from the Chippewa down of the big lake they call Gitchagumi. Superior, they said, never gives up her dead when the gales of November come early. I tell you that's a good song that always gives me goosebumps every time i hear that song too it's a it's a really good song uh really a really good song based on a true story of course and so may god rest all those souls first off that went down with that ship in those cold cold lake superior waters the uh the the, the wreck of the edmund fitzgerald so at the end of the show we will play that again at the close of the show uh, but yeah, may uh, Gordon Lightfoot, may he rest in peace in God's heavenly kingdom. That was a very good song. It'll forever be remembered. It'll be forever remembered. And yeah, I was tell you, it was a good song. Very good song. Okay, so where do I want to start? Well, I guess for starters, let's start off with the disclaimer. Remember, as I always state, ladies and gentlemen, periodically on this podcast, I am not a doctor. Although I wish I had the salary of one. I don't wear a white coat, even though white's not my color. I'm not a financial advisor. I'm not a pastor. I'm not a priest. I'm not a deacon or a biblical scholar. And I'm not a bar lawyer, thank God, because I don't want to give out legal advice. I'm not the face or voice of the national, state, or county assemblies, just FYI. And additionally, I do not advocate for violence. I am my own man, and the opinions, thoughts, and statements are of my own unless I reference other materials. So there you go. So there's a couple things I want to play before we get into the show. Now, um, let's see. Where do I want to go at with this? Let's start off with a couple funny videos before I get into who is running America, before I get into reading that um, segment again. Because, again, I, I have a PDF. It's 40 pages long. I'm going to be reading through it and then we're going to be commenting it, uh, you know, commenting on it. Um, but before we get into that, let's play a couple of videos. Now, this is great. This is called Lessons from a Southerner Part 2, Buddy Brown. Let's see what Buddy Brown has to say. I already played something of his before in a previous show. Let's see what he has to say now. Oh, maybe. I don't know if my sound could work. Let's see. Hold the phone. All right. Lessons from a Southerner Part 2. We live in a world where our kids can't pretend to be an Indian, but a grown-ass man can pretend to be a woman. What's the difference between a gun and a whiny liberal? A gun only has one trigger. <laughs> a black woman can't be on a syrup bottle, but a fake woman can be on a beer can. You can't starve people who know how to hunt. MTV needs to stop doing shows like 16 and Pregnant and start doing shows like 18 and Graduated. <laughs> God created man and woman. Democrats created all the other genders. Pickup lines are for guys who don't drive trucks. The rest of us just need a full tank of gas and a smile. A woman holding a shotgun is either the sexiest thing I've ever seen or the scariest moment of my life. Denny's is like Waffle House for people who don't know how to fight. <laughs> oh, that's good stuff. That is good stuff. A woman with a shotgun is either the sexiest thing I've ever seen or the scariest thing I've ever seen. That's great. I love it. 
Ain't that the truth? That's 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 a that's a lessons from a southerner part two from Buddy Brown. Uh, we're gonna have to continue keeping up with that. Destry sent me that. I like that. That was great. Oh man, that that was good stuff. Um, here's something else for you that you might like. It's called black market chicken eggs. All right, black market chicken eggs. Now I know the price of eggs is starting to come down, but this is still funny nonetheless. Give this a listen to. All right, city folk, listen up. Uh, we understand that there are certain items from poultry that have gotten really expensive and you may be looking to buy some on the side and that's great we can hook you up but understand something you don't go rolling up to the first coop you see in the countryside and just say i would like to buy a dozen eggs it's not how it works we don't call them that out here they're called sea seeds all right now look we got what you want what do you want you want some uh, rhode island delights you want some red sex link specials you want some orpington rounds sure we can hook you up but understand the lingo and don't be asking for things like a dozen eggs because the cops know exactly what you mean when you say a dozen of something out here no no no. you can buy singles you can buy unos you can buy a straight six you can buy a disciple pack a double disciple pack we will hook you up <laughs> but don't just come up and hand me cash like you've never done this before all right you put it in an envelope you drop the envelope on the ground i'm going to nod in the direction of a brown paper bag that might contain your sea seeds we're going to pick up our respective items and go our separate ways so that's how it works get it right <laughs> that's right get it right <laughs> don't just come rolling up expecting a <laughs> don't don't this guy don't come rolling up expecting to ask for a dozen eggs and like we're gonna we're gonna just supply you with a dozen eggs no there, there's certain kinds out here okay you you start asking for a dozen eggs we're gonna we're gonna think you're a narc basically that's freaking great i love that uh, Rietta says, Jason, can you post it on Telegram? I don't know. I might for a cost. I don't know how much money you got in your pocket. How much you and Donnie got? Huh? Yeah, I'm extorting. I'm just kidding. Yes, I will post it. <laughs> I'm feeling spicy today, guys. I'm feeling spicy. You want to know why I'm feeling spicy? Today was Taco Tuesday at this wonderful place called Taco Jalisco. And yes, I got nine hard shell tacos for a buck fifty a piece, baby. When they're normally three dollars and ninety five cents per taco, yeah, four bucks a taco, guys. Who pays for four bucks a taco on the a la carte menu? Let me tell you what, not this guy. But you know what? I'll pay a buck fifty. Buck fifty is up my alley. That's my budget. I'm broke. Just because I work for Big Oil, don't don't think I make a lot of money. <laughs> and yes, I may have had one or two margaritas, <coughs> three or four or five or ten. No, I'm just kidding. Just kidding, guys. But yeah, I ate a lot of tacos. I ate a lot of tacos. Love tacos. Yeah, it's a great place. It's called Taco Jalisco. Wonderful place. It's funny, my daughter, too. She got a quesadilla. She ate it and her fries. And she's like, Dad, I'm still hungry. I'm like, what? Oh, and there's my mom trying to call me. Sorry about that, guys. Uh, ignore mom. Sorry, mom. Can't talk to you. I don't know. Should I pick up the phone while, while I'm on the air? That'd probably be bad. Um, <laughs> I don't think she'd like that very much. No, but my daughter, she ate her quesadilla, and she was still hungry. And my let's see, who's texting me? And then my wife is texting me. Okay, she better not be spreading fake news because that was bad. Um. Yeah, and she was hungry. She wanted more. So I'm like, okay. So because originally I ordered seven tacos, and it was probably enough for me, guys. Realistically, it was probably enough for me to be filled up. But then my daughter's like, well, I want another quesadilla. I'm like, okay, you want another quesadilla? Okay, I'll order two more tacos if you get another quesadilla. She goes, okay, great. So we order her another kid's quesadilla. I ordered two more hard shell beef tacos. They all come out. The first thing my daughter asked for is, can I get a box? I'm looking, I'm looking at her. I'm like, are you freaking serious? You order a second quesadilla because you're still hungry. Yeah. Hey, mom, coastal runner. I saw you tried calling. I was going to pick up the phone while I was on the air just to put you on the spot, but I figured you wouldn't be happy with that. So I just left it be. <laughs> I'm just feeling spicy today, ma. <laughs> Oh man. No, but seriously. So no, I'm I'm not even kidding. My daughter, she, she ordered a second quesadilla. She said she would eat it with me. So I ordered two more tacos and then she gets her quesadilla at the same time as I get my tacos. I'm getting ready to dig into my next two tacos. And my daughter asked our waiter, can I get a box? I'm like a box. 
I'm like, you're not eating with me? No, I'm full. I'm going to save this for later. I'm like, girl, I'm like, you serious right now? <laughs> My wife thought it was funny as hell. I was so bitter. Gosh, I was so bitter. Anyway, <laughs> so I was like, what? Okay. So um, I was going to play another audio piece, but eh, it's a little too long. It's from Glenn Beck. Maybe we'll say that for a different day. It's not really relevant for what we're going to be talking about anyways. So let's get into the conversation here. Who's running America? Part two. Now, in part one, if you listen to it, it's pretty informative. Like I said, there's a PDF that I'm reading from. It's only 40 pages long. I found it on national-assembly.net website. I did, I did post it on my Telegram. Um, I forgot who asked me to put it on there, but I did put it on there. You have to scroll up a little bit. Um, oh, it was Liz. Yeah, because she printed it. So uh, what we're, where we're leaving off now is the 100 years. We're going to go kind of in chronological order. The 100 years of the uniform laws um, and abridged chronology here. So starting with 1890. In 1890, New York State Legislature passes the first state act authorizing governor to appoint three commissioners, right? The, and so the American Bar Association, also known as the ABA, recommends that other states follow New York's lead. Now, in 1891, Connecticut's uh, Lyman D. Brewster named to chair newly created ABA Committee on Uniform Law, and then... Um, in Pennsylvania, Mass, uh, Pennsylvania, Michigan, Massachusetts, New York, New, excuse me, New Jersey, and then Delaware also appoint commissioners. Now, in 1892, you had the first conference that was held in Saratoga Springs, New York, and above uh, the above states plus Georgia attend a formal meeting. Now, again, what we're kind of talking about here is so by the turn of the century, 33 states and two territories had appointed commissioners on uniform laws. So in 1910, only Nevada and the territory of Alaska still had not, but they came aboard in 1912. So as we get into 1893, the committees appointed on such subjects as wills, marriage and divorce, commercial law, dissent uh, and distribution. Now we get an 1895 conference request committee on commercial laws uh, were to be formed. There were drafts and negotiable instrument law and precursor to Article three of the Uniform Commercial Code. As we get into 1896, and I know this kind of sounds like a bunch of, you know, hoopla and like a lot of nonsense, but just continue listening. There was uh, in 19 or 1896, a negotiable instrument law was approved by conference. And it was the first time that a uniform act is adopted in every state and the District of Columbia. 1897, for the first time, the commissioners urged to work toward enactment of uniform legislation in their states. Now, as we get into 1898, 1899, the sessions devoted to the consideration of proposed divorce legislation at the end of the 1890s, 33 of the existing 45 state and two territories had appointed uniform law commissioners and eight uniform acts had been drafted. Now, each enacted in at least one state, all these acts were subsequently superseded or declared obsolete. Now, in 1900, the Uniform Divorce Procedure Act adopted, Louis B. Brandeis begins a five years of service as a member of Massachusetts Commissioner. So, so we're going to kind of skip through all this because, honestly, you guys can hear all what I'm going to read and all these dates. All you're going to hear is a bunch of words that continuously say Uniform Limited Partnership, Uniform Flag Act Approved, Uniform Fraudulent Conveyance Act Approved, Certain Acts Withdrawn, During the 30s, Conference Ops 31 Acts. I mean, that's all you're going to hear. So what's the bottom line? Who's running America? Well, there's no federal common law and Congress has no power to declare substantive rules of common law. That's applicable in a state, whether they be local or general in their nature and be they commercial law or a part of the law of torts. Now, that was Erie Railroad Company versus Tompkins. So the common law is the fountain source of substantive and remedial rights, if not our very liberties. Now, the members and associates of the bar thereafter formed committees, granted themselves special privileges, immunities, and franchises, and held meetings concerning the judicial procedures and further to amend laws to confirm, uh, conform to a trend 
of judicial decisions or to accomplish similar objectives, including hodgepodging the jurisdiction of law and equity together, which is known today as one form of action. That's right. So in 1939, the American Bar Association gets more involved in approval of the uniform law products, right? So 39 acts were presented to the Board of Governors of the ABA for consideration and approval. Now, during the same year, all acts on aeronautics and motor vehicles are eliminated, as well as the Land Registration Act and Child Labor Act of 1930 which the Uniform Divorce Jurisdiction Act, Fires Act, Marriage Act, and more. Six acts were reclassified as model acts. So let me scroll down a little bit further here because, again, it just talks more about the UCC and more acts and commercial code. I'm not going to get into this whole thing because, quite frankly, I'll just bore all of you guys. Let me just get through all of this because the chronology, I mean, it's, it's you're not going to remember any of it because I know I sure as heck won't. I keep scrolling, we're scrolling, we're scrolling. If you want to read it again, it's on my it's on my Telegram page. Now, what does all of that have to do really really with anything, right? Now, the uniform laws seem to be a good idea. But the thing is is that, you know, is that really even a good question? Now, an expose on the legal fraud perpetrated on all Americans, the, the courts recognize only two classes of people in the United States today. You got debtors and then you have creditors. Now, the concept of debtors and creditors is very important to understand. So every legal action where you are brought before the court, for example, like, you know, for traffic tickets, property dispute, permits, um, income tax, credit cards, bank loans, anything else that the government might, you know, dream up to charge you, you know, bills of attainder, where you find yourself in front of a court. It is in an equity court administrating commercial law, having a debtor-creditor law as the controlling law. Now, today we have an equity court, but not an equity court as defined by the Constitution of the United States or any other legal document before 1938. Now, all the courts of this once great land have been changed, starting with the Supreme Court decision of 1938 in Erie v. Tompkins. Now, we'll give you a little bit of background which led to this decision. There is a terrible fraud that's being perpetrated on all Americans. Now, you need to understand that this fraud is literally 24 hours, seven days a week, year after year, continuous fraud. Do you understand why we need to assemble people? Because this fraud is constantly upon you your entire life. It doesn't just happen once in a while. This fraud is perpetually and incessantly upon you and our families. I, I don't I don't really honestly know what else I need to put out here to help people wake up to the fact that they need to get involved with their assembly of states because this crap is still going on today. So the U.S. Incorporated goes to Geneva in 1930s. So in order for you to understand just how this fraud works, you need to know the history of its inception. So it goes like this. So from 1928 to 1932, there were five years of Geneva Conventions, right? So the nations of the world met in Geneva, Switzerland for five continuous years in order to set up what would be the policy of all the participating countries. Now, during the year of the 1930, the U.S., Great Britain, France, Germany, Italy, Spain, Portugal, etc., all declared bankruptcy. Now, if you try to look up the 1930 minutes, you will find them because you will not find them because they don't publish this particular volume. Why? I, I don't know. But if you try to find the 1930 volume, which contains the minutes of what happened, you will probably not find it. This volume has been pulled out of uh, circulation 
or it's hidden in the library and it's very hard to find. This volume contains the evidence of that bankruptcy. Destry was just saying right here in the chat, people need to stop being comfortable in a system they know and have some guts to bring forward the better system the founders have created. That's right. Because we need to remember what happened back in 1933, ladies and gentlemen. What happened in 1933? What did FDR do? Think about it. What did FDR do? Can anybody answer real quick in the chat? I'm curious. Do you remember what FDR did in 1933? Bueller? Leslie Liberty says the New Deal. Yeah, there's that. He confiscated the people's gold. That's right. My mom got it right here. He collected all the gold. That's right. He confiscated the people's gold in 1933. So going into 1932, they stopped meeting in Geneva. In 1932, Franklin Roosevelt came into power as president of the United States. Now, Roosevelt's job was to put into place and administer the bankruptcy that had been declared two years earlier. Now, the corporate government needed a key Supreme Court decision. And yeah, Destry was saying right here, the 16th Amendment. The corporate government needed a key Supreme Court decision. And so the corporate United States government had to have a legal case on the books to set the stage for recognizing, implementing, and supporting the bankruptcy. Now, this doesn't mean that the bankruptcy wasn't implemented before 1938 with the Erie v. Tompkins decision. Now, that bankruptcy started in 1930 to 1931. Now, that bankruptcy definitely started when Roosevelt came to office. He was sworn in during the month of January of 1933. He started right away in the bankruptcy with what is known as the banking holiday, end quote, and proceeded in pulling the gold coin out of circulation. Now, that was the beginning of the corporate United States public policy for bankruptcy. You can look it up in Executive Order 6073-6102-6111 and Executive Order 6260, which is the, oh, I don't know, the Trading with the Enemy Act. Now, Roosevelt stacks the Supreme Court. And it's a known historical fact that during 1933 and 1937 through 1938, there was a huge fight between Roosevelt and the Supreme Court justices. See, Roosevelt tried to stack the Supreme Court with a bunch of his pals. And Roosevelt tried to enlarge the number of justices, and he tried to change the slant of the justices. The corporate United States had to have one Supreme Court case which would support their bankruptcy problem. But there was resistance to Roosevelt's court stacking efforts. You see... Some of the justices tried to warn us that Roosevelt was tampering with the law and with the courts, but Roosevelt was trying to see to it that prior decisions of the court were overturned. <clears throat> Excuse me. He was trying to bring in a new order, right? The new deal, the new, a new procedure for the law of the land which you could see also in the UCC connection. So a bankruptcy case was needed on the books to legitimize the fact that the corporate U.S. had already declared bankruptcy. Now, this bankruptcy was effectuated by compact that the corporate several states had with the corporate government or corporate capital, the several corporate states. Now, this compact tied the corporate several states to a corporate Washington, D.C., which is obviously the headquarters of the corporation called the United States, or the District of Criminals, as Paul would say. And like Desi was saying, much opposition to the Fed went down with the Olympic. Oh, I mean the Titanic. That's right. Maybe you guys should do your history research on the Olympic and the Titanic. What really went down? What really happened? Mm-hmm. 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 
And since the United States Corporation, having established its headquarters within the District of Columbia, declared itself to be in the state of bankruptcy, it automatically declared bankruptcy for all its subsidiaries who were effectively connected corporate members who happen to be the corporate state governments of the union. Huh. Yeah, like my mom was saying right here, Coastal Runner, she was saying J.P. Morgan was supposed to be on the Titanic, but canceled at the last minute and got off the ship. Wonder what he knew. Hmm. Makes you wonder. Liz was saying Bill in uh, Missouri has a presentation for that. You know what? I should have Bill on the show. I would love to hear that presentation. I don't know if it's something that could be done via audio, but I would love to listen to that. Really, uh, it's intriguing to me. I hear a lot of good things about Bill from from up here, you know, from people up here in the assembly, and you know, people in the Alaska assembly. I hear great things about Bill. Love to have him on. I have his number. I think he's from Muskegon originally. He's from Michigan. I know that because he talked about, he was saying uh, in a private, is a sidebar, by the way, guys, but he was talking about how I think him and his wife are going to be up here in August this year. So we might try to you know, get together and have some coffee. I might have him over. I think it'd be pretty cool. But the corporate state government didn't have to vote on the bankruptcy because the bankruptcy automatically became effective by reason by of the compact slash agreement between each of the corporate state governments and the mother corporation. Now, here's a little side note. The liberty of using the term mother corporation, in quotes, right, the commu- communicate the interconnected power of the corporate federal government relative to her associated corporate states has been taken. Now, it's, a, it's historical knowledge that the original union states created the federal government. However, for all practical purposes, the federal government has taken control of her creators, the states, and she has become a beast out of control for power. Now, she has for her trade names the following. There's the United States. There's the U.S. Again, all capital letters, U.S. There's the U.S.A. There's the United States of America. There's Washington, D.C., District of Columbia, feds, and federal government. That's right. She has her own U.S. Army, Navy, Air Force, Marine, Marines, parks, post offices, etc., 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 because she is claiming to be bankrupt, and she freely gives her her land, her personnel, and the money she steals from the Americans via the IRS and her state corporations to the United Nations. That's right, the United Nations and the international bankers as payment for her debt. The UN and the international bankers use this money and the services for various worldwide projects, including war. That's right, guys. We're the ones, we're the poor steps that's funding all this crap. And because war is extremely lucrative business for the bankers of the New World Order, loans for destruction, loans for reconstruction, loans for controlling people in her New World Order. See, people think that the New World Order is still coming. We've been in a New World Order this whole time. They've only just been trying to strengthen it. Now, as we get into the U.S. Incorporated declaring bankruptcy, the corporate U.S. then is the head corporate member who met at Geneva to decide for all its corporate body members. Now, the corporate representatives of the corporate several states were in attendance. Now, if the states had their own power to declare bankruptcy, regardless of whether Washington, D.C. declared bankruptcy or not, then the several states would have been represented at Geneva, right? And so the several states of America were not represented. So consequently, whatever Washington, D.C. agreed to at Geneva was passed on automatically via compact to the several corporate states as a group association and corporation or as a club member. They all agreed and declared bankruptcy as one government corporate group in 1930. Now, the several states only needed a representative 
at Geneva by way of the U.S. and Washington, D.C. Now, the delegates of the corporate United States attended the meetings and spoke for several corporate states, as well as for the federal corporate government. And presto, bankruptcy was declared for all. Imagine that. Imagine that. And so from 1930 to 1938, the states could not enact any law or decide any case that would go against the federal government. And so the case had to come down from the federal level so that the states could then rely on the federal decision and use this decision within the states as justification for the bankruptcy process within the states. Now, are you beginning to kind of get the bigger picture here? When it comes to the Uniform Commercial Code and how it emerges as the law of the land. Because by 1938, the corporate federal government had the true bankruptcy case that they had been looking for. Now, the bankruptcy that had been declared back in 1930 could be upheld and administered. That's why the Supreme Court had to be stacked and made corrupt from within. You, you kind of following that? The new players on the Supreme Court fully understood that they had to destroy all other case law that had been established prior to 1938. And so the federal government had to have a case to destroy all precedent, all appearance, and even a statute of law itself. See how that works? That is the statutes at large had to be perverted. So they finally got their case in Erie v. Tompkins, and it was right after that case that the American Law Institute and National Conference of Commissioners on the uniform state laws listed right in front of the Uniform Commercial Code, and they began creating the Uniform Commercial Code that is on our backs today. Let us quote directly from the preface of the official text of the Uniform Commercial Code 12th edition, and it says, I quote, the, quote, uh, the code was originally approved by its sponsors in the American Bar Association in 1952 and was revived in 1958 to the, incorporate a number of changes that had been recommended by the New York Law Revision Commission and other agencies. Subsequent amendments that were deemed desirable in light of experience under the code were approved by the Permanent Editorial Board in 1962 and 1966. Okay. So the above named groups and associations of private lawyers got together. They started working on the Uniform Commercial Code, also known as the UCC. It was somewhere between 1938 and 1940. I, we don't really, we can't really recall, but by the early 40s and during the war, the committee was working to form the UCC and getting it ready to go on the market. Now, the UCC is the Law Merchants Code for the administration of the bankruptcy. So the UCC is now the law of the land as far as the courts are concerned. Now, this legal committee of lawyers put everything, negotiable instruments, security, sales contracts, and the whole mess under the UCC. That's where the uniform word comes from. It means it was uniform from state to state, as well as being uniform with the District of Columbia. Huh. Bunch of freaking crooks. And so it doesn't mean that you didn't have the uniform instrument law in the books before this time. It just means that the laws were not uniform from state to state. Now, by the middle of the 1960s, every state had passed the UCC into law. And so the states had no choice but to adopt the newly formed Uniform Commercial Codes as the law of the land, which it's not, by the way. The states fully understood that they had to administrate bankruptcy. And so Washington, D.C. adopted the Uniform Commercial Code in 1963, just six weeks after President John F. Kennedy was killed. Well, imagine that. Leslie Liberty was saying late 30s and 40s, around the same time, the people's grand juries were stopped under the lie that they are too expensive and inefficient. Otherwise, they would have stopped the nonsense. That's right. 
I've never heard that before, but that makes sense. I should look into that. Now, I'm just looking at the here, trying to pay attention because I want to make sure I get some sufficient rest. Now, I'll continue a little bit further here on this. Now, we're going to get into the lawyer's secret oath. Now, what what was the effective and significance of the Erie versus Tompkins case decision in 1938? The significance is that since the Erie decision, no cases were allowed to be cited that are prior to 1938. Why? There can be no mixing of the old law with new law. That's why. And so the lawyers who are members of the ABA or the American Bar Association, which, you know, we know those guys are not friends. They were and are currently under the control by the Lawyers Guild of Great Britain, you know, created, formed and implemented the new bankruptcy law. So the American Bar Association is a franchise of the Lawyers Guild of Great Britain. Huh. Okay. And since the Erie versus Tompkins case was decided, the practice of law in this country was never again to be the same. That's right, because Destry was saying right here, they removed common law. And it has been reported that every lawyer in existence and every lawyer coming up has to take the secret oath to support the bankruptcy. So as officers of the court, they have sworn to uphold the law as it exists, as it exists, and as they have been taught in so doing, not only do lawyers promise to support the bankruptcy, but the lawyers and judges promise never to reveal who the true creditor slash party is in the bankruptcy proceedings. If indeed many of them are even aware or even know. Again, who who's running America, guys? You see, in court, there is never identification and appearance of the true character and principle of the proceedings. Why? If there is no appearance of the true party to the action, then there is no way the defendant is able to know the true nature and cause of the action. You are never told the true nature and cause of why you are in front of their court. The court is forbidden to tell you that information. Why? Who's running America, guys? Who's running America? That's why if you question the true nature and cause, the judge will tell you, it's not my job to tell you. You are not retaining me as an attorney, and I can't give you that legal advice from the bench. So I suggest you hire a lawyer. That's right. Hire a lawyer that's, you know, in the same club as them. Hire a lawyer? Really? What have I always been saying? The problem in our country are the bankers and the bar attorneys, the bar lawyers. So the problem here is if you hire a lawyer who is pledged not to reveal the true nature and cause, how will you ever find out the nature and the cause? You won't. So if the true nature and the cause of the action against you is revealed, it will expose the real creditor from whom this action and cause came. So in other words, they will have to name the true creditor. So the true creditor will have to state the nature and the cause. And the true creditor will have to say, it's a bankruptcy proceeding. And the true creditor will have to say, I'm the creditor and he's the debtor. That's right. And so that declaration would open a door for you to question, who the hell are you? Who the hell are you? Who is running America, folks? Do you want to run America or do you want these a-holes to run America? Because if you want to run America, I suggest you assemble your state. Want to learn more? www.national-assembly.net. How did you get attached to my back and by what vehicle did I promise to become a debtor to you? 
See, in this country, the courts on every level, from justice of the peace level all the way up, even into the international law arena called the World Court, are administrating the bankruptcy and are pledged not to reveal who the true creditors really are and how you personally became pledged as a party or participant to the corporate United States debt. What would really kill these people off would be to compel the international bankers to send a lawyer into the courtroom and present itself, prevent, present himself as the attorney for the true creditor. The international banker then have the attorney put into the record the true nature and cause of the proceeding against you on that particular day. And so the international bankers told these various countries that they were now in a state of bankruptcy. Now, the countries had been taken over by the creditors slash bankers. And there was no choice but for all these participating countries to declare bankruptcy. So if they didn't get declare, agree to declare bankruptcy, the bankers threatened to collapse the economies and thereby put countries back into depression like, you know, the one from which they were just emerging. And so the bankers made an offer that they couldn't refuse. So to review and elaborate. In 1930, there was a worldwide depression. Figure that one out. Who's running America? Who is running America, guys? See, the banker said, look, you can do it either of two ways, the easy way or the hard way, right? We've always heard that. You can just accept the bankruptcy and we'll let you out of the depression. If you don't, well, you're on your own. Screw off, basically, is what they say. So all the countries involved agreed because they realized that the international bankers had them by the throat. And so the countries, therefore, agreed that over a period of several years that they would pass statutes and legislation for the implementation of the bankruptcy in favor of the international bankers. Do you see why we need to assemble our states, folks? Do you see why the world is watching America right now? But yet we're still dealing with these dipstick freaking infiltrators that want to try to slow this progress down. Believe you me, they'll be they'll be dealt with. I'm not even going to get hot under the collar anymore over these people because I know God will deliver justice. These people will be dealt with. It'll be fine bunch of narcissistic animals they are but here's the thing now it would probably be correct to say that the key bankers were the Rothschilds and their agents by way of the Rockefeller and by the way of the Federal Reserve Bank who the bankers were is immaterial but the fact remains that there was an international bankruptcy and the international conspiracy to cover it up and there was a banking creditor who made the offer. The countries accepted the offer in order to enable the representative countries to continue without revolution and to allow the politicians to remain comfortably in place. And so under a delusion of solvency, the countries were allowed to continue to operate as though they were solvent. While in fact, the representative countries were bankrupt. Hmm. Interesting. We'll continue a little bit more before we close this out. And we'll continue this tomorrow. So as we get into discussing the snare, right? Citizens and residents. Now, the bankruptcy scheme was and is an extremely clever and diabolical plan. How did they ever possibly pull the scheme off in the area of real estate? See, the bankers did it with real estate the same way they did it with the area of federal income taxes. See, these foreign bankers simply and deceptively devised ways and means to con you and I into declaring ourselves as a citizen or a resident of the corporate U.S. Now, remember... Remember, the corporate United States is bankrupt for agreement and public policy. 
And so after you had been tricked into claiming that you are one of their corporate United States citizens, you are given a social security number, which ties you to a certain meager benefits and privileges. And so then the bankers con your employer to function as an unpaid tax collector to con you into filling out your W-4 intangible property gift forms and 1040 voluntary agreements. And so these slick paper agreements establish your voluntary indebtedness to the bank creditor. And so if at any time you decide to bulk at this scheme because you don't like it, the real creditor never has to make an appearance in court to list the nature and cause of the action which is being brought against you. And so you end up dealing with an agency. The agency can conveniently grant itself immunity from prosecuting because all it is doing without your knowledge, of course, is administer, uh, administrating the bankruptcy to which the government agreed to you know, agree to per the Geneva meetings. And so the court system never let you put the original creditor on the courtroom stand. So you can ask him how he got attached to your back. How did you become the monkey in the bat? The system is set up in such a way that the true creditor is protected and never has to make an appearance and never has to answer any of your questions or produce documents. Well, Jason, that doesn't sound fair. Well, no shit. It was never meant to be fair. Again, who's who's running America? Do you run want do you run want to run America? Assemble your state. Be part of the solution. Don't be part of the problem. Don't sit there on the sidelines and I'm going to say a bad word. Bitch and complain. Because the true creditor never has to produce the laws that give him the right to pledge you, your body and labor into indebtedness, bondage or servitude. Why? Why? Because the Geneva Agreement in 1930 was done by treaty. That's why. The bankruptcy was not done by legislation. The agreement came first, signed in secrecy, then Congress began to pass legislation to fulfill the bankruptcy obligation required by the treaty. Legislation being passed by Congress was henceforth and is thereby bankruptcy legislation. So when cases came before the courts, the courts could not make decisions based on the new controlling laws of bankruptcy. It had nothing to do with constitutional rights. Now, any case brought in uh, is under the new bankruptcy law and is not considered as a true constitutional case. So it is, a, it is now a bankruptcy case as distinct from but cleverly disguised as a constitutional case. And we'll pick this up tomorrow as we discuss the fraud going forward. Again, who is running America, ladies and gentlemen? Do you understand the importance of why and the urgency of why we need to assemble the people in 38 plus states? Are you beginning to understand how they grabbed us by the balls and they freaking pull us down? I'm not trying to be crude, ladies and gentlemen. I'm serious. Do you see how this works and how this operates? We're going to we're going to end it here. We'll get into prayer. We'll continue this tomorrow. Heavenly Father, we thank you for another day of life and good health, and we thank you for all the many blessings you bring our way. We ask you to bless the assembly of states and our people. May you call the many to stand up and, and put in the effort and work on behalf of this republic. There are so many people out there, Father, that want to complain and they want to moan and groan about well, somebody needs to do something. Well, we are that somebody. And let the people listening here live be that somebody to help fix America. And as far as the somebodies that are involved, that are trying to uh, fusticate and infiltrate 
please deal with them accordingly. Look, we're not weak people and we're not going to give up, but we really don't have the damn time for these type of people. Please deal with them, Father God. Please. We know who wins in the end, but please deal with them now. We pray for the increased armor by you because as we try to help other people and pray for them and wage spiritual war against evil on behalf of other people who don't know how to guard themselves, we're taking the arrows and they hurt. But I know they were never meant to feel good. I know this life was never meant to be a picnic. We were here to meant to occupy the land and expand your kingdom. I understand that. I think we all understand that here, Father. But we just ask that you just help us along the way because it is a hard fight. And even though we won't quit, sometimes we need to step aside from you know battle and we need to take a breather and regain some stamina and some strength. So please help us. We need this. We glorify you. We love you, and we appreciate all that you do for us. In your holy son's name, Jesus Christ, we pray amen. Amen, ladies and gentlemen. And Rietta says, thank you for the peace that you give us that passes all understanding. And Randy says, thank you, Jason. God bless, guide, and protect us all. Thank you. Amen. Amen, ladies and gentlemen. Like I said, here at His Heart Line, we are firm, we're steadfast, and we're uncompromising. Don't let the enemy cross that line. Hold the line. Hold that line. Rietta says, uh, driving to Bible study, so prayer had to be short. That's quite all right. I'm always thankful for your prayers, no matter how short it is, even if it's just, thank you, God, for this day. It's a perfect prayer. I hope <laughs> She says it's a red light prayer. I love it. <laughs> You should not be texting and driving, naughty, naughty. <laughs> I hope everybody has a good day or night wherever you're at in the world. Just a quick shout out to everybody. Paul Federico in Nevada. Glad to see you here. Patriot Beagle, Coastal Runner, my mom. We got D, uh, D. Schuster, 63, Destry Payne, Rietta. Uh, I believe Donnie might be next here. We got Pam Jean, Randy, Nancy S., Leslie Liberty. There was a third page, but people are starting to log off. But thank you guys for joining. Appreciate that. I hope you all have a good day, good night, wherever you're at. I'm not going to play the regular outbound music. I'm going to play the uh, Edmund Fitzgerald um, song again by Gordon Lightfoot, again, in honor of Gordon Lightfoot for his passing. So may, may you rest in peace. God bless, ladies and gentlemen. We'll see you back here tomorrow. Legend lives on from the Chippewa on down of the big lake they call Gitchagumi. The lake, it is said, never gives up her dead when the skies of November turn gloomy. With a load of iron ore, 26,000 tons more than the Edmund Fitzgerald weighed empty. That good ship and true was a bone to be chewed when the gales of November came early. The ship was the pride of the American side, coming back from some mill in Wisconsin. As the big freighters go, it was bigger than most, with a crew and good captain well seasoned. Concluding some terms with a couple of steel firms When they left fully loaded for Cleveland Then later that night when the ship's bell rang Could it be the north wind they'd been feeling? The wind and the wires made a tattletale sound Every man knew as the captain did too 
was the witch of November come stealing. The dawn came late and the breakfast had to wait when the gales of November came slashing. When afternoon came, it was freezing rain in the face of a hurricane west wind. to feed you At 7 p.m. a main hatchway gave in He said, fellas, it's been good to know you The captain wired in He had water coming in And the good ship and crew was in peril And later that night when his lights went out of sight Came the wreck of the Edmund Fitzgerald Does anyone know where the love of God goes When the waves turn the minutes to hours The searchers all say they'd have made Whitefish Bay If they'd put 15 more miles behind her They might have split up or they might have capsized They may have broke deep and took water all that remains is the faces and the names Of the wives and the sons and the daughters Lake Huron Rose Superior sings In the rooms of her ice water mansion Oh, Michigan steams like a young man's dreams The islands and bays are for sportsmen And farther below Lake Ontario Takes in what Lake Erie can send her and The iron boats go as the mariners all know With the gales of November remembered Musty old hall in Detroit They prayed in the Maritime Sailors Cathedral The church bell chimed till it rang 29 times For each man on the Edmund Fitzgerald and The legend lives on from the Chippewa Down of the big lake they call Gitchagumi Superior, they said, never gives up her dead when the gales of November come early. 